So we started off with uh, the basic idea that even fully sighted people who do astronomy don't really use their eyes. Uh, they always use some kind of augmentation like a telescope or uh, a computer screen. So everything that we see in astronomy, all the data that we use to actually study the universe, has to go through something else first before we can use our eyes to, to actually interpret that. And as a vision impaired person, I was really, really keen to look at alternative ways that we could sort of access this data, so using touch and sound rather than sort of using our eyes, uh, which is the more traditional way of doing things. So touch and sound then are going to be the keys as regards getting a blind person more interested in astronomy. How exactly, can you give us a specific example of how you're going to go about that? Absolutely. Uh, so the models that we're working with at the moment, uh, we basically take uh, a regular picture of an astronomical object. So in this case, we look at things called galaxies, which are big collections of stars and gas uh, that are all held together by gravity. And then we make a 3D printed version uh, of that image. So we basically take the brightness of that image and we scale it vertically. So the brighter points of the image will be raised higher above the background and the dim parts of the image will be much closer to the background. So you get this really good sense of how the brightness varies over sort of the, the structure of this object. And then we can even take that one step further and we can look at images that pick up on different kinds of light. So really young stars will show up looking really blue. So if we just pick up that blue light, we can see where those stars are situated. Whereas uh, if we look at really old stars, they tend to look much redder. So if we just pick up the red light, that image of the galaxy will be completely different. So that teaches us something extra about the structure of the galaxy, where different things are situated and as well. Does it depend on a person taking part uh, in this uh, course, if you like, for want of uh, a better word? Do they need to have some kind of working vision, even if it's not an awful lot? Or could a totally blind person take part in it as well? So we've actually done one public session uh, so far, and we had a mixture of people with all levels of vision. So what we found was that even the people with no vision at all were still able to access these models and, and understand Having said that, though, we found we, we did have to build everything up from scratch uh, in an introductory talk at the start of the session. So we, we started off with sort of Earth-based scales, the kind of scales we think about when we talk about uh, the size of England, for example. And then we scaled everything up from that until we got to sort of the size of galaxies, which are obviously much, much, much larger. And so putting everything into context like that, I think, really helped everybody understand what we were talking about. So there is a, there is a bit of a steep learning curve, but we're working out ways of, of getting around that. And did you have a good response from the people who actually took part in this uh, initial meeting that you mentioned there? We, we did have a really good response. So it was, again, a, I mean, mixture of people with different levels of vision, but also people with different background knowledge uh, of astronomy and, and science and physics. Because what we've found uh, talking to people is that a lot of vision-impaired people during their, their school years are actually excluded from learning about astronomy, which we think is really sad. So their teachers either sort of tell them, no, this isn't something you should learn about because you won't get anything out of it, or it's taught in such a way that they find it really difficult and, and don't really feel like they can access it. So in a lot of cases, the people who attended really felt like in the past astronomy had been something that they weren't allowed to be interested in or that they would find too difficult. So it was really nice seeing those people actually interact with our models and, and talking to us and sort of starting to, to learn a little bit about astronomy. Now, was that the situation for yourself? I know that you have uh, a little bit of vision, not an awful lot, but you have a little bit of vision. But uh, you've always been interested in uh, astronomy from an early age. Were you encouraged to get into it at all? 
My parents were actually pretty good. So I was, I was born three months premature. I uh, developed a condition called retinopathy of prematurity, which basically comes about when undeveloped eyes are exposed to too much oxygen. So I was in a humidicrib for the first little part of my life, uh, and they had a, a, an atmosphere in there that was mostly oxygen just to keep me alive because my, my lungs hadn't developed properly. And so that damaged my eyes. That's where the, the majority of my vision loss comes from. Having said that, my parents are always very much of the attitude that I should do what I wanted to as long as it wasn't going to be dangerous for me. So they were, they were always very supportive. And so from the age of about five or six, I remember watching a, a documentary on television about the, uh, the Voyager spacecrafts that had gone out to see the, the larger planets at the edge of our solar system, the gas giants, and they'd sent back all these beautiful images of Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and, and Neptune. And I just remember getting really close to the television and being absolutely blown away by how beautiful those images were. And so from that moment, I think I was sort of in love with the idea of astronomy. And then throughout my life, every time we went on a camping trip anywhere in Australia, so I'm, I'm from Australia originally, my parents would make diversions to go to observatories or um, sort of anything astronomy related, we'd, we'd always go and see. So my parents were really supportive of that. Throughout my schooling, I sort of pursued all the, the areas of study that I would need to, to, to become an astronomer. And you sound as if you've really been determined, despite not having uh, a full vision all the time, to actually learn about various things and really become a bit of an expert in astronomy. Absolutely, yeah. That was that was always something that I felt very passionate about. Uh, it's yeah, a passion that never really went away. So yeah, it seemed like the sensible thing to do. But yeah, um, uh, I've I've tried to never see my my lack of vision as a uh, anything that should hold me back. I guess. So this is a course that is taking place then at Portsmouth University where you are actually based. How can any blind or partially sighted person within obviously the local area perhaps get involved in this and what's the next steps as regards the next part of the course for people who would like to get involved? We have a, a Facebook page, a Twitter account uh, and a few articles that we've posted on the the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation's webpage. So that's where we're sort of updating our, our progress at the moment. Yeah, basically to keep the project going, we're going to need uh, a little a little bit more funding. So the idea is basically to try and get this project out to as many people in the UK as possible. So what that will probably involve will be us travelling. We're, we're looking to basically train up anybody who's interested in delivering this in their own area. And our end goal, what we're hoping to be able to do, is actually have all of these models, and uh, so the digital versions of the models, and all of the, the scripts that we've written for the activities, all of the content available to anybody who wants that for free. So we'd, we'd also, obviously, yeah, offer training to make sure that people knew what they were doing when they delivered this. So we, we really want to make sure that anyone who wants to do this or wants to access this program can. Obviously, I mean, 3D printers are getting more and more popular. They're more available than they used to be. What we'd also hopefully aim to do is actually send people sort of starter packs that would have the minimum number of models already printed that they'd need to sort of run their own version of this as well. So how best then could somebody get in touch with yourself if they are interested in getting involved? Details are on our website. So uh, to get in touch with me, you can email me at nicolas.bonne at port.ac.uk and if you can't remember that, just look for my, my name uh, in relation to the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation and it'll throw out my contact details. And what's next for yourself, Dr. Bond, as you continue to uh, enjoy astronomy as a major part of your life? So 
next for myself, I hopefully get to keep working on this project. So we have big plans to try and incorporate some audio into our models as well. What we're aiming to do is use the models we already have, but then have a, a sound of varying pitch that will play depending on the brightness of the model as it's being touched. Uh, so higher pitch for more bright, less less uh, pitch for dimmer areas of the model. So there's some pretty pretty nifty bits of technology that go into making that. So we're we're playing around with that at the moment. In terms of uh, actual research, I, I hope to keep looking into uh, what makes a galaxy change shape, change colour, how it evolves over time. Uh, so that's my my main area of study. Dr. Nick Bond, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for chatting with us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.